Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and welcome to the next second instalment of our interviews with leaders from the world of sport about how to build and sustain high-performing teams. Now, it's not necessarily about government communications, but my thesis that I'm working on is that government communications, the time is now to lead. It is up to government communicators to step out, step up, step forward, and bring together stakeholder engagement, data and analytics, behavioural science, um, research, communications into a single capability in order to deliver for our clients inside government, the people who are delivering policy, programs, services and regulations. So we need to to learn how to build and sustain high-performing teams and there's no better place than to go to professional sport to find out how exactly that you, you do that. My guest is the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks, Donnie Nelson. The Dallas Mavericks are one of the NBA's top basketball sides and Donnie has an incredible record as a coach and administrator in the world of basketball. And it's been his job to pull together the Mavericks uh, in the lead up to the NBA championship in 2011, but then to build and sustain the team now which is going to be one of the challenges for the title in the NBA over the next little while. Now, listen, I'm sure that you're probably thinking, is this for me? Well, I can only commend you that Donnie is a great communicator. He has so much experience. And when you listen to his stories and you listen to his advice, I'm sure you'll find a place for some of that wisdom as you try to build and sustain your high-performing team. So there you go. This is a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. So let's go now to my conversation with Donnie Nelson. Building and sustaining high-performing teams is, has been your, your life, really, going all the way back from you know, your, your early days as a scout and then working with your father, who obviously had a, a great um, career, a famous career as the most winning NBA coach of all time. So you've been in this business of building and sustaining high-performing teams for a long time. What's the, what's the secret of bringing a team together and keeping it performing at its highest level over a period of time? David, it's, uh, it's never forgetting that you're in the human uh, being business. You know, we're all humanoids. And as uh, no matter what culture, society, um, ethnic uh, uh, tank you come from or uh, where you sit on the scale in terms of economics, uh, we all have basic needs, and that is, uh, you know, being part of a team, being successful, um, you know, and I think as long as you uh, keep your view on that and, and, and never lose sight of that, uh, it's bringing those peoples together. And, and with us in particular here in Dallas, we've, um, we've fished in international waters quite a bit. And so it's not just the bringing together of like-minded people that want to win a championship, but it's integrating those those cultures and age groups and whatnot. So it's it's not easy, but as long as you 
remember that uh, you're in the, the business of, of talking to and growing uh, humans um, and their development. I think it's a good start. So in terms of that, what are, what are some of the questions that you ask when you're starting to get to know people? What are some of the things that you, that you feel that you have to know in order to start to have that influence with people? I think the, uh, the first is that I've had uh, uh, the luxury and the uh, pleasure of dealing with a lot of different cultures, both uh, former Soviet Union to, to China to uh, Africa. I've, I've you know, had the uh, good fortune of being able to travel quite a bit. Um, and I think understanding whereby which someone came from, whether it's the uh, streets of Manhattan or if you're in a total need situation from Mexico City, you know, th th those are understanding where a person comes from, their structures, the importance, you know, um, I've always put myself in the other person's position. Uh, sometimes, you know, someone is, you know, has more uh, socioeconomic needs. Sometimes they're language based. Sometimes uh, it's a, it's when we first brought uh, Shrunas Marcellonis, who was the first athlete to break through the Iron Curtain, it was literally teaching him how to open a bank account, those basic needs, because uh, life in the Soviet Union was much different than life in Northern California at the time. And so, uh, but again, uh, the family basic unit, understanding uh, the needs of that athlete, their families, and how they can add to the uh, championship culture is uh, what we strive for. So, so once you, you sort of assemble um, the players or, and, and you're starting to bring them and, and starting to get them to under, you understand them as people, how do you then draw them into that collaborative mindset that you need to understand? That because, they're, yes, they're individuals, but they've got to contribute as part of a team. So how do you start to try to bring them together? You know, in, in team building, it's really important for us that we uh, predetermine, um, you know, certain things that are important to us as, as a unit. For example, um, uh, they have to have a certain work ethic, you know, um, a certain um, uh, a commitment to a, a championship, um, being able to be coached, um, you know, when you, when you're dealing with 17 players, like we do now, uh, it's very important that everyone's pulling the wagon in the same direction. You can always take a, a chance here and there on someone that's uber talented, but once you get, you know, two or three folks that, you know, maybe have a different agenda, you start to see fracturing, you know, within the locker room. So, uh, the important thing for us is from a, a culture standpoint, is to make sure that guys that sit in each one of those individual 17 lockers, um, you know, are on the same track in terms of uh, commitment to championship, work ethic, and uh, our culture. So in terms of that, and how important is vision? And how important is it to have a, a clear picture that each of the team members understands, first of all, but also signs up to? And how important is it that they have a say in what that vision might be or indeed how that vision is going to be achieved? It's critical that they understand that our commitment is to a championship. That's why they're sitting in those locker room, the locker spaces. That's why uh, they're, they're 
are paid well, um, that is extremely important. And that starts at the top. That's uh, my boss, you know, our owner, Mark Cuban, to our head coach, to myself. And that trickles all the way down to trainers, ball boys, everyone that know, everyone that is a part of this franchise understands what our uh, short and long-term goals are. The second piece I think is extremely important um, you know, when you when you have a guys from different diverse backgrounds and cultures, uh, we all have got to speak the same language. No pun intended. We we literally have guys, uh, you know, for the Mavericks now. Half of our our team is from different parts of the planet, and each one of those have their own individual ecosystem that's got to fit within. Uh, the greater structure. And so um, as we make them more uh, as comfortable as possible um, with the lifestyle here in Dallas, um, integrate them into our society. When a player becomes uh, comfortable and his family is comfortable, whether it's here or on the other side of the pond, that's when you're going to see the most production. And then obviously it's, it's how those 17 players interact with each other, which is critical as well. So once you've got that picture clear, how do you sustain it then? You know, how do you keep it fresh so that it doesn't just become rote and it, and it loses its meaning? How do you keep that sort of those ideas fresh in people's minds, which obviously would then keep them motivated towards what the goal is? Sure, David. I, I, I'm a believer that uh, there is a creative gene inside every human being that needs to be uh, appreciated, okay? And although you have 17 players that would uh, love to play 48 minutes and get every shot uh, and be an all-star, they, they understand that, you know, in order for the team to achieve its, its, its highest goal, there's gotta be sacrifice. Um, I, I think being, uh, being part of the process and being listened to is extremely important. A player might not be able to, um, you know, be the Luka Doncic, bring the ball over, uh, make decisions, take uh, shots or the Dirk Nowitzki or, or, or what have you. But it's important that we as management and coaches listen to their comments, bring them in and make them a part of the process. That's that's a very, very critically important part, I think, to every championship team, because no one wants to be treated like a robot. Where you're at the end of the bench, you might have the uh, the uh, solution to cancer, but nobody uh, goes over and, and asks you or makes you a, 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 a piece of the process. So I think that's extremely important. I don't think uh, you know saying no to a, to a, an idea or a, a, you know something a player might come up with is that that's that's that that's going to be more of the case than not because we only have so many balls to go around. But as long as uh, each one of those individual athletes and players is appreciated, I think that's uh, very, very important. It sounds like it takes a lot of time to build teams and takes a lot of listening and takes a lot of understanding. Is that fair to say that it's you have to be patient in being able to build great teams? You have to be in the human being business and you have to understand what makes human beings tick. It's not just a paycheck. It's being part of a team, part of a process, being listened to. It's critically important. And especially in this day and age when recruiting is so important to 
our team. It's not just the city of Dallas, but we have a very open-minded uh, owner in Mark Cuban. He is an email away from anyone, and I mean anyone on the planet Earth, and will respond probably within 30 minutes. We have a players coach in Rick Carlisle that, that uh, listens to his players and uh, has great relationships. You know, I'm a very, uh, I'm, a, I'm a person that's never met a stranger. I mean, th those are really important pieces that everyone uh, wants to be a part of, you know, th those types of teams, whether it's dribbling a ball, kicking it, or a part of a, a corporate structure. What are the biggest risks? What are the things that you look out for that are going to challenge the, uh, this framework? And it, it's clearly articulated framework that you have, have got in place. Um, you've applied it many times successfully, both with Olympic uh, basketball and actually indeed cross other sports as well in baseball and um, not just the Mavericks, but um, other areas of baseball, uh, sorry, basketball as well. What are some of the risks that people need to look for? And what are some of the things that people need to stay away from in order to, that they don't risk being able to build that high-performing team? David, the big one in our, uh, in our industry is not to get blinded by talent, you know? Uh, as I'm looking here in our war room at the draft board, in three days we're going to go through the draft, there's going to be some extremely talented players that are expecting to get drafted higher, and they'll probably fall, and the reason is that uh, there's a lot of people out there, whether it's in sports or other industries, that are extremely intelligent, uh, you know, athletic off the charts. Um, but for some reason, there's the, 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 the piece that's missing that um, whether it's uh, the, the wrong frame of mind, whether it's, uh, you know, they don't play well with other players in the teamwork structure. Um, a lot of great coaches through the years uh, have said, if looking back, if I had to do it all over again, I would have, I would have chosen integrity over talent. And uh, there's a lot of, let's, let's call it ghost ships that have hit the rocks that, uh, of, of coaches that, um, you know, that got suckered into the talent and then didn't pay enough, uh, you know, attention to the integrity factor. There's a lot of casualties out there. So that's the one that we, uh, we like to uh, call fool's gold. And uh, if in doubt, you know, go with integrity. So that's, that's a fascinating point because obviously lots of coaches believe that they can do it differently. You know, they can identify um, the talent, they can cure whatever that ill is and therefore get access to that, to that gold. When do you stop and when do you start thinking that you can rehabilitate somebody? Well, we've got, uh, we've got a rule here that, um, again, uh, birds of a feather, as they say, right? So... You can take a chance on one, uh, maybe two, but when you start getting past that number, you find that uh, you, you, you get division and, you know, it's easier to pull someone off a, a chair than pull them up, as they say. And so, um, you know, we've had our uh, quote unquote, uh, Dennis Rodman moments here in Dallas. You know, we've, um, uh, there's that times when you take a chance on an over the top piece and there's a place for that. But, uh, you know, we like to build with talent, youth, uh, integrity, um, you know, and, and doing it the right way. 
You have, as I mentioned, a, a long career um, in building and sustaining high-performing teams. What's the best team that you've ever been involved in and why were they the best team that you've ever been involved with? Oh, man, there's been a couple. Um, I would say, you know, when we won the championship a few years back, uh, that's the one that I'm probably most proud of because we didn't have um, a lot of stars. We had Dirk Nowitzki. That was getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, we won the championship um, against uh, Miami. And as you can remember, they had Chris Bosh. They had Dwayne Wade, LeBron James. There's not many people that picked us to win that. But uh, we had a group of uh, 15 guys uh, back then. And they all pulled the, uh, the wagon in the right direction. Uh, we had great leadership at the point guard position. That was Jason Kidd, who's a Hall of Famer now. Uh, we were probably outgunned at every position except for Dirk's position, the power forward. Um, and there weren't many odds makers that gave us a chance to win even a couple of games in that series. But it was, it was because of integrity. It was because of work ethic, um, team play. Um, it, we just took every quarter. We tried to win every quarter. Uh, we had a great coach that was, uh, um, wasn't afraid to make some uh, risky decisions. And that was the team uh, that I'm probably most proud of just because we did it the right way. Uh, we did it with integrity and we uh, ended up beating a much more talented team. And on the other side of it, what's the, the worst team that you've been involved in and what are the, some of the worst mistakes that you've ever made? Well, the worst team, um, you know, is the one that was fractured right down the middle because our two best players um, let's just say, uh, I won't name names, but, um, they, they pretty much, um, you know, you can imagine, you know, the, the, the two extremes of what I've laid out would be our, our goal and, and not. And so, uh, we had a team that was very, very talented. Um, and the two best players were from different vantage points. Uh, and they basically split the team right down the middle. And as the good book says, a house divided cannot stand. And uh, we went down pretty quickly uh, that year. <laughs> and how did you rebuild? How did you rebuild from that, from that moment of, of, you know, the ruins? How did you then, sort of, did you just basically go back to basic principles and start working slowly, patiently, and understand that not to make those mistakes again? We got rid of all the bad eggs and miraculously next year we were right back in the saddle. You know, I mean, uh, again, birds of a feather uh, and it's a lot easier to pull, you know, folks down than up. And so we just ended up getting rid of the, the, um, the, the bad eggs, so to speak, and uh, replace them with, uh, with good. And uh, we ended up, um, you know, that next year rebounding. So in terms then outside of the playing group itself, you then have the, the support team and there are so many people involved in that support team. What are you looking for in those people in terms of their contribution to this um, sustainment of, of a high-performing team? What sort of roles do you look to them to play? What sort of characters are you looking for? David, those positions are critically important to the success of any team. And... Just, just don't think just because a guy gets water or coffee and is a ball boy that he doesn't have an impact. Each, each, each one of those uh, positions is hired 
with the same scrutiny that we would a head coach because anyone that touches those the, those players in any way whether they're picking up their socks uh, to get washed or what have you it's it's critically important that that is a positive person that's going to uh, come in with a smile on their face um, you know make sure the right message from the franchise is communicated and uh, the key is to make the locker room a home. Players have got to walk into that locker room feeling like the guy sitting there next to me is my brother. I take a bullet for him just like he would for me. This is a great place to come to work every day. Every time I walk in, I might have had a bad night. Maybe the coach got angry with me. Maybe, you know, um, my, 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 my wife got angry with me. You just don't know what's going on with players outside. But when they walk inside of that workplace, they're met with open arms, people that want to work, uh, people that want to push them down the right roads and path, be a supportive family member. Um, and so we put a great deal um, of, uh, of effort into making sure that each one that touches those players from Mark Cuban all the way down to our um, equipment manager has got the uh, right message and influence. So once you've got the team sort of moving and once you're starting to have success, how do you sustain success? How do you keep people hungry? How do you keep people motivated? How do you keep them aligned? And how do you keep them working to, to their best possible potential even after they've started to have great success? Uh, there's a couple things. It's, it's very important that uh, you get a, a good amount of self-starters. Um, you can take some glass half empty guys uh, but you've got to get uh, the majority of your locker room that loves the sport, loves the sport, not likes it, loves it, uh, wants to get better, whether they're, you know, a young player or an old. Um, and we really look for that, especially in our leaders. Uh, you know, take a guy like Dirk Nowitzki that played for 41 years. I'm sorry, 21. He was number 41. I wish he was. I wish he played 41. He played 21 years with the Dallas Mavericks. And he was our, you know, even in the, in the old, uh, when he was a little longer in the tooth, um, we would have young players that would come in, first-year guys that would say, hey, Dirk, I'm going to beat you uh, to practice and I'll be the last one to leave. And our uh, trainers would, would basically say, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts because Dirk, through his career of 21 years, was the first there and the last to leave. Uh, and it's that kind of commitment to success and, and excellence, even when, you know, it takes him an hour and a half to just get himself ready uh, with the aches and the pains and the injuries of, of practice. Young players look at that and uh, as an example, and then they buy into it. And once you become part of that fabric and it becomes a way of life, then that is passed on. So uh, that is a critically important in the leadership positions for us. And, just to talk about leaders and leading through example, just how critically important is that you that you have those people who others can learn from, can look to? You know, how, how important is it to make sure that you have the right leadership in place? Imperative. It's as important as our owner, our head coach, to have your best players be your hardest workers. That's the goal. Uh, and to be winners on top of that. And so, uh, again, we've been spoiled rotten 
with a guy like Dirk Nowitzki. And it was critically important for us that Luka Doncic, who's an MVP candidate now, one of the best young players in the world, shared some locker room time with Dirk because Dirk had a chance to kind of teach him the ropes a little bit. Kristaps uh, Przingis, that, that also is his own version of, of, of Dirk from Europe, um, young player with an extremely bright future. To have those two guys uh, have the luxury of, of learning from Dirk, not just on the floor, but how to deal with everything off the floor, because there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of things on the road that we deal with, with loneliness. Um, it's hard for these guys to go out with getting, without getting mobbed, you know? And so um, those are it, how, how you handle yourself and the people you surround yourself, just like, you know, mom and dad used to tell all of us, you know, um, those things are, 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 are imperative. And to have them learn from Dirk uh, towards the twilight of his career, we thought was just really, really important. And so from, from your position as the, the president of, of the Mavericks, big job, big responsibility, you know, the, the, the trade's coming up this week and obviously that rests with you. But clearly there's a passion and an enthusiasm in you that you probably, you sound as excited as you probably were when you started your career way back in, in the mid-80s. How, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay engaged as, as a leader of the organisation? Well, I, you know, I am the luckiest man on the planet Earth, David. I, um, I, I'm doing what I love to do every day. Um, I'm, a, I'm surrounded with great people. Um, you know, uh, I was on the phone just before this interview with my boss, Mark Cuban, you know, Mr. Shark Tank, and th this could be the most active draft we've ever had. And, uh, I told him I, I've never been more excited. I think it's it's like if you're a player and you have a, a chance to play in a, a championship game, um, that's exciting. I mean, the, the excitement of it, you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know uh, you're confident. You know that, um, you know, you're going to let it all on the field or the court. Uh, there's an optimism and excitement and it really uh, turns back the clock. I mean, I'm 58 years young and I feel like I'm, you know, 25, you know, and, and um, just really blessed and excited to, you know, be in this unique position. Just a final question to you or perhaps some final advice. This particular conference is for government communication professionals, people who are going to be trying to help governments around the world explain to citizens, to stakeholders, to business, the decisions that they're making and why they're making them. And they're going to have to do this at a time of such dramatic change where technology is really fundamentally overhauling the way that we can understand the needs of people, um, their opinions and, and what we can do to help them. What advice would you give to those um, government communicators in terms of how they can improve and how they can get better at doing their job, which is going to be fundamentally important, as I say, as we as we all wrestle through this challenge of uh, of what is likely to be a long period of time getting past the you know the challenges of COVID nineteen. David, it's all about honesty, honesty, and did I mention honesty? People, people can take whatever uh, tough pill that you're going to give them as long as you're straightforward with them. Everyone, you can't get around COVID. 
You can't get around the economic crisis that we're in. Uh, but if you're if you're if you're honest with folks and give them a game plan, okay? That listen, we're going to have to go through some tough this and that the other. Here's how we get from A to Z. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. As long as they have a game plan and you're honest with them, I think that most teams can withstand anything. So thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this very special episode of the GovComs podcast. And once again, thanks so much to Donnie Nelson for giving us part of his time, his very valuable time, at a very busy time uh, of, of his year uh, to appear on the GovComs Festival and to enable us to be able to feature him once again. If you are interested in listening or watching more of the content from the GovCom Festival, well, you can go now to the GovComs Institute website where you will find recordings from the event. So there you go. Thanks again for coming back to listen to the GovComs podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight's time with the next episode. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.